0: Welcome to the Table for One podcast, a podcast for those of you who are cooking for one. You'll find interviews with people who are cooking for one, nutrition tips, cooking tricks, and other practical topics for all my single listeners. And all without the mention of dieting or restriction because, well, dieting just kind of sucks. So join me as I explore the realities, the challenges, and highlight the joys of cooking for one in this busy world. Welcome to the first official episode of the Table for One podcast. Here's the place to talk about real life tips for the solo eater. So today I'm exploring the question of what is it really like to cook for one? You know, this is an interesting question because honestly, I've never really thought about it until after my experience that I talked about in the episode in the intro episode, I'm having a hard time talking today. So this this experience was the one where I met the VP of a marketing company, and he asked me um, he asked me what made me and my brand special. And after much thought and frustration, I realized that this, this whole life of cooking for one made me and my brand special. I transitioned from cooking quick and easy recipes for busy people to then creating quick and easy recipes for people who are cooking for one. Again, the concept of cooking for one never really crossed my mind. Of course, I had done it for a while, but it never really seemed particularly challenging or special until I really thought about it. And then especially after I started talking to people about it, talking to people who are cooking for one, just like I was. And then I realized it does have its own set of challenges. And I think a lot of us are in that situation where we may have been doing something or cooking in a certain way or whatever for a long time. And it just doesn't seem anything difficult or special or anything. And then you sit down and think about it and and realize You know what it takes, and it is a little bit harder than you think. And and at least for me, that's allowed me to really dig in and find some ways to make that easier, and to know that I don't just have to go with the flow. Like I can I can experiment and I can figure things out and I can adjust to make it easier for me and more enjoyable because I don't have to just follow all the recipes out there that make four to six or even more servings, and then figure out how to eat them all. I don't have to do that, and you don't either. So to get started, I really wanted to kind of share a little bit of my background again, (laughs) just like I did in the intro episode, but to share a little bit more about my background, to give you some ideas or to share some things that I've experienced. And maybe you will be able to relate to some of those, maybe not so much, but this is kind of giving context for why I really believe in this. And, um, you know, the experiences that I've had that have taught me about cooking for one. So I, I have loved cooking my whole life. I mean, as long as I can remember, but I actually did not grow up cooking. I didn't cook at all with my family that I remember. I shouldn't say that. I didn't cook much at all for my family. My mom always cooked for our family and she's an excellent cook, so that was totally fine. I remember taking a home ec class in middle school and there probably was a section in that class that was on cooking. I did take I think two cooking classes in high school that were really fun. And, um, that was really it that and like quesadillas or nachos that I'd make for a snack after school. And then fast forward to college. That's really when I started cooking because I had to, I didn't have a mom there to cook for me. And I found myself, you know, after I was living, after I was out of the dorms, living in an apartment with friends, I would make, you know, one to two recipes a week because I you know couldn't get through the food fast enough to be able to cook any more variety than that and I you know I I real I realized that that I got so bored with some of the foods that I would make I remember one pasta dish that was an orzo dish, excuse me, that was really good. And I still kind of remember the flavors and it was lemony. It was cheese. It was awesome, but I've literally never made it since because I had to eat it for like five to six meals. And I'm still a little bit traumatized, what, like eight years later. And so that was an interesting experience. I also remember trying dinner groups with some friends and with other people, and they honestly just were terrible. They failed miserably because we all had different expectations when it came to like different foods that we would make and whether or not people would cook and all sorts of things. And it, you know, it, it, it did not make life easier. And the whole point of that was to get, you know, to talk to other people and to eat with other people and then to have something different and not have to cook every night. That didn't work. I, one thing I did do that was really fun and actually worked was hosting potlucks and particularly dinner ones um, with the roommates that I lived with. And that's something that I do to this day that I really love. Um, It's a great way to get people together and to not have to eat all of your meals alone. Fast forward to my dietetic internship so this was essentially supervised practice um at lots of different locations and different areas of nutrition and you know it was just like working plus school I was exhausted I frankly do not remember so many days going to bed before the sun went down um and I did that during my internship. I ate lots of random bags of salad. And that was before the days of all the really exciting salad mixes. So they were just like salad and like a lame um, dressing And I say lame because I just don't remember tasting that great. And then like random pasta dishes. And then I'd zonk out after eating dinner. I was so tired. And then thinking of my first job. So I lived in apartments with limited fridge space and lots of roommates. So, you know, I'd have to go to the grocery store pretty often if I wanted anything fresh. And I, you know, couldn't plan ahead so much, even if I wanted to. I also lived in situations where none of my roommates cooked. And that was a really interesting experience for me because I grew up in a house where my mom cooked every night. She would always say and still says to this day that, you know, she can make something a lot better than what you can get at a restaurant. So I kind of grew up that where cooking at home was the default. And then I lived with roommates who didn't cook and they'd go out as default. And so here I was exposed to something completely new. It wasn't any any better any worse it was just different and new and oh all of those foods that they brought home looked so good and they didn't have to put any effort into it and and they could eat and they could watch tv and just and then throw it away and not have to do any dishes it just seemed great and so that was interesting and um and and yeah, that was just an interesting experience. And then I also had times where I straddled between not wanting to have to share the kitchen yet again, having to, you know, get all over each other and in each other's way. And then also wanting to spend time cooking and eating with roommates. So that was interesting because it would, you know, depend on mood and the day and, and, you know, roommate interactions, right. To see how that went. And then fast forward to a little bit more recently. So I transitioned from working full-time to part-time, working part-time at home, and then working full-time for myself. And, you know, working from home, I thought that I have time to make like fun, exciting breakfasts. I'd be able to take a break for lunch. I'd be able to cook dinner and do all these things. And um, from the outside, it just seems totally doable and and re- realistic, but it's not at all. I work later nights than I ever really have. I'm owning my own business, and by the time I realize I'm hungry, it's a little bit late to put much effort into it. And so that's been an interesting realization that you know I don't have the time or the desire to cook like I hoped or expected to. And I've also experienced, so I, a lot of what I do now is recipe testing and food photography. And at one point, maybe a couple of months in a row, I literally lost my appetite to all food because I was cooking lots of dishes that I hadn't necessarily chosen. Not that they tasted bad at all, but for somebody who likes to let my own body tell me what to eat and to eat intuitively to then not have very much of um, a choice in the matter was, was harder for me than I expected to, to, you know, kind of deal with. And so, you know, I, I was cooking lots of dishes at that time that I wasn't necessarily choosing and I worked for clients and, um, to, you know, to, to figure out how to cook without having to cook every single day or eating the exact same thing day after day after day. After day was something that I had to learn and had to learn in many different aspects of my life so far and many times over and over again. And so what I really want to get across by sharing this is the fact that we're all just trying to figure it out. Even as a dietitian who loves to cook and now cooks for a living, I'm still figuring it out, and then refiguring it, refiguring it out, and then figuring it out again. So recognizing that we all go through seasons of eating, we can sometimes cook, we sometimes can't cook, sometimes we want to cook, sometimes we don't want to cook, and that's all okay. I like to think of eating, of feeding yourself, as a big giant experiment. You have something. Um, try a recipe, you see if it works, you you try a way of cooking or planning or preparing or whatever, see if it works. You keep what works and you adjust what doesn't. It doesn't have anything to do with your abilities. It doesn't have anything to do with your stick-to-itiveness or your worth. It's just a freaking experiment that will change all the time. And I think going into it and knowing that it's not going to be perfect kind of gives you the space to not be so judgmental on yourself. So with that said, don't be judgmental. Don't feel like a failure. You're just figuring it out like me and like everyone else. So let's kind of talk a little bit about everyone else. What is it like to cook for one? What's it really like to cook for one in a more broad sense? So if you're cooking for one, you might experience one or more of the following. You decide to make something from a recipe that you found online, in a cookbook, in a magazine, or anywhere. And then you're left with four plus servings for leftovers. And four servings for leftovers is like a good day. Seven servings for leftovers is like, what the heck do I do here? Um, Or you decide to cut a recipe down or make dinner for one night on the fly. And then you end up with three quarters leftover cabbage or 18 extra tortillas. Like what do you do with 18 tortillas for one person? Or even worse, a really nice and expensive loaf of bread that you bought. And somehow without any warning or realization, it started to go moldy or it's so um, tough and hard that you can't can't even cut through it. it. it's, it's so stale. And so, you know, this just baffles me because it happens more than I could ever imagine. And I love bread. I, I look forward to eating it and I enjoy eating it and I want to eat more and it still happens. Or you come home from a busy day at work, you quick, quickly realize that you're starving and you spend five minutes and that's on a good day again, like you so easily spend so much more time staring in the fridge or debating whether or not to get delivery. Or you love that you can make whatever you want, you don't have anybody else to please, but then you ask yourself, is it really worth all this work just just for me? And, you know, we all experience that, but a spoiler is that it totally is, and I'll talk about that. Or your most consistent dinner companions are the characters from your favorite TV show, I wish Trevor Noah was my real-life, consistent dinner companion, but for now, I'm just going to have to watch him on the daily show. (laughs) Or you question if somebody would find you if you were to choke. Or finally, you tell yourself that you don't want to do the math after a long day at work. Or if you're like me, you never want to do math. I mean, what even is a quarter of three quarters of a cup of chicken broth? You know, when you decide to cut a recipe down to not have to eat four days of leftovers? So, if you're cooking for one, you probably relate to at least one of these experiences. Cooking for one can be a really fun, empowering, and exciting thing, but it could also be miserable, lonely, um, and just can be a sad experience, depending on how you look at it. So, don't worry. I'm here to help, and on my next episode, I'm going to explore the question, what do I do when I'm hungry and I don't have anything planned? And then also, regardless, cooking for one is a wonderful and challenging experiment. So make sure to head over to the Table for One Facebook group and share your own experiences with what it's like to cook for one. And if you're cooking for one or know somebody else who is cooking for one, make sure to subscribe to the Table for One podcast so you can get all of our most updated episodes and follow along. Thanks so much for listening to the Table for One podcast with Rebecca. If you're cooking for one or know somebody who is, make sure to subscribe to the Table for One podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you can stay up to date on new episodes that will help you make cooking for one easier and more enjoyable. Feel free to continue the conversation over at in the Table for One Facebook group. You can also find recipes or work with Rebecca over at nourishnutritionblog.com Or, honestly, the easiest way is to follow me on Instagram. My handle is nourishnutrico, and you can click on the link of my profile to get more great resources for cooking for one. Talk to you next week.